0: Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.
1: In the week that Gary Lineker was revealed as the top paid PBC star in the annual reports, the Lionesses crashed out of the World Cup with record-breaking viewing figures, and Curtis and Amy's relationship was on the rocks in Love Island, this is Series Linked. I'm Emma Bullimore from the TV Times, and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hiya, Jeffers.
2: Hey, how's it going?
1: Good, thank you. On this week's episode of the podcast dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand, Jill Halfpenny joins us in the studio to talk about new drama Dark Money. Hold Dark is returning for Series 5, and Will Sharp chooses his box set to watch before you die. You're listening to Series Linked. The podcast for TV fans by TV fans. How are you, Jeffers? How are you doing?
2: Yeah, good. Yourself?
1: Yeah, good, thank you. Still a bit sunburned from Wimbledon, but it was a good, it was a good day, wasn't it?
2: It was good. I'm a little bit hungover today, but I'm, I'm excited about what we've got to talk about, so let's crack on.
1: <laughs> so, so let me get to bed yeah. is what you're trying to say. Not that you don't love the podcast. Let's start with this eight days to the moon and back. It's coming to BBC Two. There is going to be a lot of moon coverage, shall we say, uh, in the next couple of weeks. Tell us a little bit about this one, Jeffers.
2: Yeah, it's a little bit different from some of the ones I've seen, like there's Hollywood versions and, like you say, other documentaries. This is a drama documentary um, around the 50th anniversary, and it, it's mainly using the audio. What they've got is uh, hours and hours of, of audio from the three uh, astronauts that went up there, and they've got actors to sync the, the audio, essentially, so you've got the real words dramatised. And it, it works on, on some level. I think some people are really going to love this and others are going to be a bit unsure I think the audio, some of it, I've never definitely lots of it, actually, I've never heard before. Um, so that's quite interesting and you do get a lot of emotion. But at the same time, it's, it's quite a strange concept because you know that obviously the people on screen aren't the actual astronauts. What did you think?
1: Well, it's beautifully made. Like, it looks very cinematic. You can imagine it on a big screen. And, it, you know, it's amazing really how a man landing on the moon has just become a mundane thing that we know happened in history. You know, it is kind of cool to, to see it and remember the jeopardy of it and was it going to work, all of that kind of thing. But it is is an odd thing. I like the more... The sort of minutiae of it. I like the bit where they're talking... You know, you're hearing the actual astronaut saying... You know, just just making little throwaway comments about how they're upside down or they've dropped a pen or, you know, any of this kind of stuff. And they fancy a coffee, that kind of thing. The big kind of attempt to make it really dramatic and there's big kind of music and, you know, turbulence. What's going to happen? Well, we know they'll land on the moon. We know it's going to be fine. So... They seem to be trying to set it up as if, you know, what, what could happen? Are, are they going to die? Is it not going to work? But we know it works. So it's a bit odd in that sense, I think.
2: Yeah, and the other problem they've got with that is they are competing with Hollywood films, you know, big movies made about this. So I do take that and I agree with you that the landing moment isn't as spectacular as, as some of the other ones you all have seen. You do get some great insight, though, in terms of things that I didn't know before. They got a daily news bulletin. So you hear them sort of almost get like a newspaper read out to them and, and you hear them talking about how they've got used to just seeing the moon's surface because they they keep going round it and they're after a while it becomes sort of commonplace which is an incredible thing to think about for some you know for us mere mortals who've never been up there so there is some great insight but i think you'd have to probably have at least a passing interest or be quite into this kind of uh, this kind of documentary or, or science or you know into the moon and that kind of thing otherwise it's probably going to be a bit too detailed and a bit sort of almost too niche because it is 90 minutes and it is yeah re- heavily reliant on those sort of little facts that we're talking about.
1: But I think it's kind of interesting on a human interest kind of level. You know, what is it like for three people who are not necessarily friends, they're colleagues, and they're just suddenly up in space together? What do they talk about? What goes on? That side of it is more interesting to me. I wish I'd had more focus on that.
2: Because you've got Neil Armstrong, Michael Collins and Buzz Aldrin, and obviously Michael Collins doesn't actually get to land. He's, he's, not, he's up in the lunar land there. He's waiting for them to come back up. So it's quite a weird, almost like anticlimactic thing for him. And it's quite interesting to hear his audio. He's speaking with them shortly after they've landed. And I find that bit particularly fascinating, actually.
1: So let's talk about another show that's on this week, a bit of a documentary. Could be quite helpful, actually. Why We Can't Sleep. This is on ITV. I was kind of immediately interested in this because I've had bouts of insomnia at times in my life. But after I was a little bit disappointed, set it up, first of all, Jeffers, for us.
2: Yeah, so it's looking into the stats of, of why we don't sleep. Um there's uh, 32 million people I think in the country who regularly suffer from disrupted sleep so a hell of a lot of us and it does a various tests with a couple of people and it meets uh, several other sort of case studies if you like of people who really struggle to sleep and they try and sort of help them out. The results are fairly limited I suppose it's quite a small sample they're using for a lot of the things and they're getting other people to talk about their problems but they're sort of very passing comments from people who we don't really get to know so there's not a great it's not a deep dive into this subject it's it's an hour on itv so it's probably 45 minutes of info i think people if if they are having a few problems themselves and this is their first entry point then then i think it'll be fine but i know that we've had sarah cox on the show i mean she's got a sleep app i know she's sometimes puts that on social media i think a lot of people are quite into this kind of thing so if you're already trying to take some measures i'm not sure how much new there's going to be in this
1: yeah i felt like it was a fantastic idea that then didn't have enough budget or just they ran out of time or something because you've got ages and ages of people saying oh i can't sleep yeah you'll get that we're totally on board with this come on tell us what you're going to do and then i've seen in a million shows this kind of sleep lab and we're going to monitor people and then not great conclusions really it didn't really move the subject on in any way
2: and there's one extraordinary moment where there's a guy who's who hasn't slept well for years and years talks about he's he's a lorry driver and he talks about yeah I've been driving a lot and quite recently I thought I was going to fall asleep at the wheel I'm thinking well yeah pull over (laughs) mate just doesn't seem to be um you know it's not it doesn't you don't have to keep driving and they do try and help him thankfully and it's not supposed to be funny but I just thought it was a bit sort of flippant and it it sort of scared me a bit that if there are other people like that it would just so complacent or so determined to continue driving when they feel tired you know we we really don't want people like that on the roads
1: and they go on for ages at the start about how vital it is that we get enough sleep and the dangers of not getting enough sleep and there's all this setup and then just at the end it just kind of i don't know fizzles a bit
2: i think they definitely should have concentrated more on the solutions like you say it feels like they're they're glossed over quite quickly then perhaps a, a setup at the start and then you know perhaps 50% of the show or even a second part with a lot of solutions and a lot of suggestions uh, that would have probably been the way to go I think
1: because we all know don't look at your phone before you go to sleep like the, the kind of things they say we've heard a million times but guess what you know if you've got proper insomnia you're probably trying to you know use those techniques to start with and it might might need something more than that So the big drama of this week is Dark Money, and here to tell us all about it is friend of the podcast and star of this drama, Jill Harfenny. Hello. Jill recorded the pilot with us, so she's been here from the very, very I start. I did. I'm a friend of the podcast. That's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us all about Dark Money, because, I mean, it's it's grim subject matter, yeah. but it's beautifully done. Tell us all about it. So
3: it's about a family called the Mensas, and they have, um, they have three children, and... One of their their boys, um, Sam, my character, her son, goes to Hollywood to star in a movie. A bit like the equivalent of, say, like a Guardians of the Galaxy type thing. It's a really big budget kind of fun sort of science fiction type movie. It's all very exciting and everybody's thrilled that he's doing it. But when he comes back, he reveals to myself and his dad that he's been abused by the director. So really the story is about how does a very normal family with very little money and very little power take on a huge corporation like a film company and what choices do they make? Is it the right one? And it's kind of like when you watch it, you'll be thinking, why are they doing that? Nobody in their right minds would do that because what happens is, They go to the film company with the allegations because they've been told that to go to America and to sue, it would cost them a lot of money. So they get offered, you know, they get asked to sign an NDA and they get offered hush money. And um, we will see whether they take it or not.
1: And you're playing the boy's mum. Yes, I play Sam, yeah. God, you've got some difficult scenes to do. I I know. As an actor, is that... Exciting to have the challenge of it, or do you think, oh, God?
3: Yeah, I mean, a bit of both, really. Like, obviously, when you're auditioning for the part, you're like, yes, absolutely, this is exciting. On the day of actually shooting those scenes, you're like, oh, will I be able to get there? Will, will I be able to go there? But, you know, it was such a good cast, and we worked with Lewis Arnold, who is such an amazing director, we did we you know we were able to go then we were given time as well which was great we were actually afforded a bit of time to be able to do those difficult scenes
2: and how, how do you kind of make them feel and seem natural because I guess that's that's I think that's one of the good things about some of the scenes in this that it's quite horrific stuff being discussed with your son in it and and just how you sort of make, the, make them work.
3: Well, we spent um, a week together before we shot. We spent a week of rehearsals together where we really just talked through all of the decisions all the characters were making at any given time. And we, if we had a problem with some of them, we would talk to the writer and we'd say, but why are they doing this at this moment in time? And because we sort of spent that time together, you you very quickly sort of become... Like a family, you start to feel very protective over your family. So when we did shoot some of the more challenging scenes, you know, when I was working with Max, who plays Isaac, um, the boy in question, it wasn't that difficult because he felt like my son. He just felt, you know, and when I looked at his innocent, heartbroken face, it just was not difficult for me to have to go there because it just felt so very real, you know.
2: And in a situation like this, obviously it's called dark money. It's about mm. whether they take the money or not. There's not really a right answer. Is there? That's what sort of struck me. What, I'm not sure what the right thing for those parents, if, if you're in that situation, yeah. what, what you would do.
3: It's a really difficult dilemma because, like I said, so they go to the lawyers and they're told that because this happened in America, you will have to go to America to sue. It will cost a lot of money. Okay, so that option seems like it's out of the out of the picture. And then their son says, I absolutely do not want anyone else to know. So then they're, then they're in this situation where if they try and make this public, or if, which is probably the way to get more publicity and more power, therefore, or maybe somebody might, you know, if you went public with it, somebody might say, I'll give you the money to go to America to sue. Because we had to talk all these options through. The fact is, Isaac keeps telling them, I don't want anyone else to know. So they're stuck in a situation where they're like, we don't have any money to go to America and sue. But also, more importantly, our son does not want anyone to know. So what do we do? So when they're offered this money, they're thinking, okay, well, three million pounds could change the life of our son, our stepson and our daughter. Yes, it's not ideal. But does that in any way compensate for what he's had to go through if he doesn't want anyone to know? Obviously people are gonna be screaming at the telly going, No, it's immoral, you just can't do that, it's just unethical but I thought it was an interesting dilemma because I just don't know what people would do and in fact I think statistically more people sign an NDA than probably you would think. It's very scary when a group of executives and lawyers sit across a large table and say, Well, the evidence that you've shown us, um, you know, doesn't seem like enough to put forward. We don't believe you anyway. If you do, sue us. We will counter-sue and we will make your lives hell. Which is basically what you're being told. That's very scary, you know, for people that not only have do they know nothing about the entertainment industry, they know nothing about the law either. They're just normal people who are re and they're really struggling and they have very little money so to have £3 million put in front of you that is going to be a huge huge pull because... Their lives will literally be transformed. But as we know, money doesn't change everything. And of course, you know, their life implodes completely. And, you know, it's probably one of the worst decisions they've ever made.
1: And this is very timely. The last couple of years, we've been talking a lot about abuse of power in Hollywood and and what it might really be like about things like Mm. NDAs. Do you feel all of that has maybe tainted the industry that you've worked in for such a long time, or do you are you glad that it's all coming out or how I do think you feel it's about really
3: it? good that it's coming out. I think it's really, really great. obviously, we'll have to keep talking about it, but more than that, things have to be done about it. What I think is really interesting about Dark Money, which I know is what Levi initially wanted to do, was, you know, quite often we will read about cases of of abuse in the papers or we will see those horrific scenes where the family will be stood outside a court and they'll be really upset and then we'll watch them walk off camera and go home. But what we never ever see is inside their houses. We never see what conversations they're having indoors. We never see how they're just able to get up in the morning and put their clothes on and go their son go to school or them go to work that's what he was interested in so I think that I think drama is a really good way to delve into the really human side of when these things happen because like I say we often just read about them in a reporting in a journalistic type of way and that's horrific enough but I don't think we see how it affects people on a day-to-day basis and actually how when something like this happens it will be with you for the rest of your life. This is not an incident that will pass and will be dealt with and then you move on when something like this happens. And it really does happen to the whole family as well because there's so much shame involved in, in abuse. There's so much shame for, for the victim and for the family so I think that's what will be powerful to watch how it affects every single member of the family.
1: And in the first episode we see them watching this video which is basically evidence of the abuse. Yeah. What were you watching? Were you just looking at a blank screen? Had you talked about what was in that video? No,
3: the director and the acting coach had made not the actual video that you'll see, but they'd they'd made an audio recording for us so that when we actually watched it for the first time, we could react in real time to what we were hearing. So it is it's an audio recording, obviously, but that was really helpful for myself and Barbu CC, who plays Manny, the um the dad. So we were able, and and it was it was horrific as well. But Lewis sort of thought about how it would feel for us to do that scene and to just stare at a blank screen and to just be staring at a, you know, an empty iPhone. Yes, we're actors, I realise that, but it's, that isn't very helpful. So it was really great, you know, what, what, what you did for us, even though it was horrendous as well.
2: And what do you do at the end of the day when you film those sort of scenes? Because they're the ones that really sort of hit me when I was watching that first episode. They're quite difficult to watch in a way. I think audiences are able to process that stuff a lot more in yeah. 2019, but how, how do you sort of deal with it at the end of the day?
3: the end of a day like that you're so exhausted just from physically from the actual crying so your face feels like you know it's like a dried up leaf it is exhausting to cry like you know when you have a good cry as you just want to lie down on the sofa so on a day like that rap is cold you go home to your hotel and what I do is I literally flop on the bed or the settee and I can barely you know be bothered to make food I'm just I'm just depleted completely so what you have to do is you have to think yeah that's good we got that in the can I think that's all good but then you know you've got another 13 hour day the next day so you just got to like get some food in your belly and get yourself to sleep I mean it's it, yeah you, you have to be very like um you have to take take the emotion out of it in that sense you, you're like i got to go to work tomorrow.
2: At the same time, I guess if you got back to the hotel room and you, you don't feel like that, you perhaps wouldn't think that you've given it, you have to sort of yes. give everything into those sort of scenes. Yes,
3: because there there, and there is a sense. So if you go back and you feel utterly depleted like that, then there is also a sense of, yes, I think we got where we needed to go. So yeah, you are pleased with the work you've done, but your body doesn't know that what it's went through isn't real. Your mind does, but your body doesn't. So your body has felt the trauma. Even though you're telling your brain, I'm acting, I'm acting, I'm acting, your body still feels like it's been through something traumatic. So, you know, you just have to look after yourself. It's boring, but, you know, you do have to be pretty conscientious when you're working on a show like that. There isn't, for me anyway, I can only speak for myself, but there isn't really a point in a show like that where it's like, oh, should we all go out for pizza tonight? I'd fancy having a drink? It's like, no, like... I've got loads of lines to learn. I'm exhausted. I need to go to bed. So you sort of just have to keep the end goal in sight, I think, with someone like that.
1: And not every role that any actor gets to do allows them to really showcase what they can do. Whereas I feel this is this must be gratifying to have an opportunity to be like, look, here I am. This is the kind of acting I can do.
3: Yeah, I think it's really gratifying to get to do a show where you actually I'm it's I mean it it, it very much is an ensemble piece, but The way Levi has written it, that Sam and Manny and um, Isaac are pretty much in it all the time. So what was gratifying for me was to be able to be involved one hundred percent in a show from start to finish, not just come in and do a few scenes, not just be in episode four or something like that. It was like, right, this is where I want to be. I want to be in a show where I'm involved in it from the very beginning to the very end, and I put give my whole self to it so yeah that was great
1: and also at the same time you're in year of the rabbit at the moment yes that's a lot more fun (laughs) yes so finished dark
3: money and then was asked if i would like to do year of the rabbit so that was great i mean you know talk about like a good way to shake something off so like uh we, we literally finished shooting dark money the day before christmas eve wow so because we, cause we ran Christmas. over. <laughs> yeah. So it was that like a no, dark really start Christmas. to the festive period, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm really happy. Happy um, So it took me like those two weeks over Christmas to just sort of get myself a little bit like back to normal. And then it was brilliant. Went on Year of the Rabbit and just had such a good time because you're surrounded by, well, brilliant scripts, but they're all really stupid as well and really silly. So it was really good. It was very liberating for me after in Dark Money. I, I had to be very held all the time Sam is a really held tense character in in, in Year of the Rabbit Flora is just like she could not give a beep um <laughs> about what anybody thinks and that was just that was just so good for me I just loved every minute of it
2: And in the press pack interview for Sam, you say that you relate to her because she makes some very um, questionable decisions and you say, you think I've made some questionable decisions in my life too. Yeah. So the obvious question is what, like, like what? (laughs) Uh,
3: I don't think I'll go into that. But I think that what's really boring is, especially with women on television, is people have this idea and it's really, I've, I've noticed it, you know, I've been doing telly for 30 years now and, um, People have this idea that women have to be likable all the time on the TV. And you you have direct I've had directors say it to me in the past, we just can you just soften her up a bit? Can you just make her a bit more likable? I find it really annoying and I find it really patronizing. We're all very complicated, complex human beings. We all make like decisions in our lives where we look back and think, What's that me? was that the person that I am now? Because I'm looking at that person from the outside and I'm thinking, I don't know why she did that or I don't know why she abandoned herself in that way or I don't know why she let somebody treat her like that. So the thing that I loved about Sam is, yeah, she makes some decisions which when you're watching, you're probably thinking, oh, Sam, please. But that's real. That is what being a human being is. Probably today I will make five decisions where I go, oh, Jill, why'd you do that? But, so what like that's like what being on the planet is all about like so it's just was just really nice for me to to play a character who yeah there was things she did where i was like but that to me that's real and like thank god thank god that women are allowed to be um to sort of to explore the whole palette a little bit more now, you know, and not just be kept in this, just one little area where you're either a total bitch or a total goody goody, because that's how it felt a bit in the past. And now it's just a bit like women are complicated and dirty and uh, co- complex and just, and you know, why not? Like if men are what women are, we're all the same.
1: And your niece, Chelsea, is in the industry. She's one of the most popular characters in Casualty while she was in it. Do you think it's different for her? Do you think it has changed significantly between when you started out and when she started out?
3: Well, I think that is changing what I've just talked about. But I think now for her, what she has come into is probably an industry where there are far more actors than ever before. Like there are... I mean, I thought there was a lot when I first started out, but now it's like everywhere you look, there's an actor. And also the industry's just changed in terms of, you know, the way we audition and the fact that people want self-tapes all the time. And it's, it's sort of, in one area, it feels quite exciting because you could literally tape for some big HBO series and be, you know, in two months' time, be flown over there to start it. And that, like, never felt like an option when I first started out. It was very much just English television and English theatre. So now it feels very international. But I think that perhaps for Chelsea and for anybody that comes behind her, maybe the competitiveness has just, like, excelled in a way that I just, you know, it just seems to... It seems like everybody wants actors to be everything now. Do you act? Do you write? Do you sing? You know, do you speak five languages? And it's like, wow, you know, they really expect a lot. So, you know, I, I think I think she has, she has a work cut out for her.
2: We always ask the last question, what, what are you watching on TV? I guess it would be good to know as well what those sort of female characters that you're talking about, which ones you think are r- really good. I mean, Big Little Lies comes to mind for me or Fleabag or something. There's well, some good roles.
3: I mean, I watched, obviously, Fleabag and that's amazing. You know, you just watch something and you're like, oh. That's so good, every line is so good, it's just like bow down to Phoebe Waller-Bridge and the whole cast actually. Um, most recently, I watched Chernobyl, which doesn't have a lot of female characters in it, but I enjoyed that very much, I thought the writing in that was incredible. And um, Big Little Lies, weirdly. I'm, like, the person who had never watched it. And weirdly, weirdly, you just said that. I've just bought it, like, the first series. So I'm on, like, episode five now. So I was thinking, well, I'll watch that and then I'll watch the new one that's come out. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's great. It's It's, you know, it's... Again, it's just like anything that is is driven by women or written by women. Yes, we just need more of it. That's all. Like, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't even be a sort of conversation starter. Oh, have you seen that thing with women in it that's written by women? It should just just be. Have you seen that really good drama or comedy on television? So until we get to the point where it's not a big deal that there's either more women than men or it's been written by a woman, then then we'll know we're at the right point when it's nothing to even mention.
1: And what's coming up for you? Are you able to say secret projects? Um,
3: after Dark Money comes out, I did an episode of Inside Number Nine. Oh, So amazing. that will be coming out, yeah. Great. Which I was really excited about because I love those guys so much. And that call came through. And I was like, yes, whatever you want me to do, yes. <laughs> and they were so lovely and so nice. And I just, it's just like, it's just a real pleasure when people that you admire a lot, sort of, you know, the call comes through and you're like, Yeah, I would love to be part of that world. Like, and I had, I don't think I can say anything about it, but I had a good time.
1: When you received that script, you must have just been like, you know, turn my phone off. I want to say, yeah, but also just like, I
3: don't even need, like, it's just like, yes, just, yes, I'll just do it. Yeah. I just, I have such admiration for all of the League of Gentlemen. Um, I was going to say boys, but they're men, aren't they? Um, I love the fact that they seem like they have they seem to have so much love for each other and what they did was so loved and yet every single one of them has gone off and had enormous success with different things and then they recently came back together didn't they to do their live tour and i just think it's so nice that you don't hear the sort of like oasis type stories of well they hate each other or yeah oh no ever since that happened or one of them's jealous of the other person's success they just all seem really comfortable with where they're at I find that really attractive that they're just all really supportive of each other
1: fantastic well that's coming up soon probably this year we're not sure yet I think so
3: I'm presuming it'll be like autumn yeah is it an, It's, an, it's an autumn I would have thought it? Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: I would look forward to that yeah. but for now Dark Money starts tonight and it's on tonight and tomorrow Jill thank you so much for coming oh thank in. you for having me thanks thanks to our friend Jill Halfpenny you can catch Dark Money on BBC One on Monday and Tuesday this week and of course it's available on the iPlayer as well Right, so a little bit of a public service announcement now. We are off on our summer holidays for just a few weeks, so the podcast is going to be taking a very short break, but it's a blink-and-you'll-miss-us type of affair. We'll be back very soon. Very important note, subscribe now, and then you'll be told when we come back. It's all all for you. But as we're off on our holidays, Jeffers, I thought the big question to you this week could be, what is the best Sunfield or sort of beachy feel-good show of all time?
2: Yeah, I'm struggling a bit with this one. It's not just because of The Hangover. Um, (laughs) Most of the programmes I can think about are either, you know, good, but really grim or just not very good. So you've got like Benidorm, not a big fan of that. X on the Beach, not a big fan of that. Echo Beach in 2008. Oh, throwback. One one of the worst soap operas of all time with Martin (laughs) McCutcheon and Jason Donovan in. Not going to mention that. And then you've got other stuff like The Sinner, which uh, Carolyn Flatt recommended as a box set. Big, big, you know, Murder on the Beach. Broadchurch was very good, but again, pretty grim. So I am struggling a bit. What What have you got?
1: Home and Away, obviously. Okay. I mean, fantastic theme tune. It looks beautiful. The ultimate. If I think of a beach, I I can't help thinking of Home and Away. Great show.
2: Home and Away is good. Also, I suppose I could I could use the O.C. again. Oh man, my go-to thing. You know, there's lots of beaches on that. That that was very happy. That was very sunny.
1: Are you going to spend the whole summer break rewatching the O.C.? I,
2: I might watch it tonight. I think with a few yeah, a few soft drinks. I think that might be the way to go.
1: Right, let's talk about some more new telly now. Good news for Dark fans. It is coming back for a fifth and final series. Jeffers, is it still strong?
2: Well, it's difficult for me to tell because I'm not a regular, but it was quite nice to come into this with sort of fresh eyes because I've, I've heard obviously lots of talk about it for many years and I've only seen bits and pieces of it. So I kind of wanted to see what all the fuss is about. And also I was quite interested to compare it to Beecham House on ITV, which is, was seen as the rival but actually hasn't ended up doing very well in the ratings. And I, to be honest, I can see straight away why people do really like this and also why it does it a lot better than Beecham House. For a start, Aidan Turner, as Ross Poldark, is obviously a really solid character and he just seems to be doing a lot more than, than I've seen in most other period dramas. There's problems it is his home life in terms of workers and people struggling for work and, and there's lots of issues there. Then he gets a letter and he's immediately called upon to go and sort of try and go to London and try and save someone else who's who's involved in prison. There just seemed to be a lot going on for an hour of period drama for me. And and I thought that was a really good thing. And, and also, to be honest, quite unusual. What, what do you think of it?
1: Well, it looks beautiful. And I was a bit disappointed when Ross makes his way to London. I was like, oh, but what about this fantastic Cornish scenery? But actually, we still get that because Demelza is still there. Uh, and actually, they're kind of in quite a good place in their relationship to start with. So we're, we're kind of seeing a different side of their relationship because obviously they've had their ups and downs. Generally, my problem with Dark, as my problem with Aidan Turner, is that it takes itself too seriously, in my opinion. So Aidan Turner, you know, started, you know, doing his half-naked scything and everyone got excited. And then he's like, oh, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. It's like, oh. and, and the show itself, I just find overly earnest. I don't know. I, something about it just sort of annoys me. I know you have to invest in it. Demelza is so wet. She is the most boring character. I mean, certainly, I've, I've, I haven't watched it consistently all the way through. So forgive me if she's had some amazing scenes in between. But this episode, he's, he basically says he has to go from Cornwall to London. And off he has to go. And she's kind of like, okay, then. Like, she doesn't, there's no actual conversation about it. He says, what do you think? And she says, well, I think you've already made up your mind. You know, I know the kind of man I married. It's just so, I, I don't know. I just found that really annoying.
2: I really warmed to her because I what? thought, you know, she seemed very in love with him. And also she was more than happy to kind of take on the, the problems of the sort of family affairs in Cornwall. That You know, there's issues with, with staff and without ruining it too much because it's not on until Sunday night. You know, that there's other issues that, that throw themselves up. And I thought she sort of grabbed the ball by the horns and got involved. And I, I quite like that. I could, I could immediately see why, you know, people like her. And yeah, it, I just thought it was, it was quite interesting stuff.
1: Really? Are you going to carry on watching to the end of the series?
2: Do you know what? I think I might. I mean, it's quite a weird thing to do, given this is the last series as well, to suddenly start watching it now. But I did find it, even compared to Downton, I used to find sometimes Downton was quite slow. And at least with this, I felt, you know, Aidan Turner was rushing around and he was, he was getting stuff done, you know, stuff was actually happening. And by the end of this first episode, you know, some of the things he was setting out to do at the start had, had, had been completed and normally in these period dramas. Those things take two, three, four episodes, sometimes two series. So I I like the pace of it seems better than most period drama.
1: Yeah, and the production values are very high. It looks looks beautiful as well. Right, as we're going on our little break, we thought we'd we'd both pick one thing each that we're really looking forward to talking about when we come back because there's so much good telly to come. Jeffers, what are you going to go for?
2: I'm going to go for some comedy, um, and it's like an all-female cast, really. It's called This Way Up. It's on Channel 4. I might have briefly mentioned it once before, but we've now seen two episodes – and I think this is really good. It's, it's Ashley and being Sharon Horgan who are the t- two main characters on screen, and Ashley's written it as well. And um, I just thought it was a bit different. It, there was some some good sort of I suppose catastrophe style humour, but there was also uh, a sort of nod to social and sort of mental and personal issues that, that the character Ashley's playing has. And and. She's sort of come to London and it's, it's about the problem she's facing and I sort of thought it reflected quite well on a lot of things I'm reading and sort of anecdotally hearing about how people sometimes do struggle when they come to London or, or do sort of struggle just sort of as someone in their 30s maybe if things aren't going right. So I thought it was interesting and also in parts very, very funny, some great cameo roles from, from some other people and yeah, I think it's one to look forward to. What, what have you gone for?
1: For me, I'm going to pick a drama and I'm going to pick a Jeff Pope piece. You know, he's always brilliant at bringing those real-life stories to the screen. This is called A Confession. Martin Freeman's leading out the cast, but there's amazing people in it. Charlie Cooper's in it, Siobhan Finneran, Imelda Staunton. The list goes on. Uh, And it's about... It's a real-life story, as you'd expect. And it's about a, a policeman who managed to get this incredible confession out of a suspect, but went about it in slightly the wrong way and it had massive implications for his career. I think people are going to really respond to it it is quite difficult to watch in places, but it's it's compulsive viewing. It keeps you going. It's it's nicely paced and you want to find out more. We watched two episodes and I immediately wanted the third. Uh, and I think people are going to really like it. So that's my one. Now it's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die. I hope you're keeping a note of this. Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly tells us a must-see series. Last week, it was Catherine Ryan. She chose Girls. Hope you checked out her comedy special on Netflix. Really funny. Uh, And this week, it's the turn of Will Sharp, one of the stars of Defending the Guilty, which is coming to the BBC very soon. Here is his box set to watch before you die.
2: Hi, I'm Will, and my box set to watch before you die would be Garth Marenghi.
0: I'm Garth Marenghi, horror writer, although I prefer the term dreamweaver. Thanks, Rick. I was hysterical.
2: My life is yours. Garth Marenghi is a kind of spoof 80s hospital drama slash horror. And there's lots of continuity errors on purpose and bizarre performance choices again on purpose. You know, weird mixing decisions. Um, So there's plenty to take from it. Of
0: course. That's why these attacks are mysterious. They're not conventional attacks. What is it? I've got two words for you, Sanj. Telekinesis. Teleka-what? Telekinesis. Someone or something is propelling objects around this hospital. But who and why and for what reason? I don't know
2: yet. People do develop telekinetic abilities in some rare cases. Often the subject feels angry or
0: unappreciated. How are you two doing up there? I'm fine, but I'm having to tread on eggshells vis-a-vis Liz. She's got a face like the proverbial.
2: It's very inventive and funny and plays with a form uh, in an enjoyable way and I don't think there's been a show like it for quite some time. Garth is the most significant artist that I've ever worked with and I've worked with Lulu and four other people so we're talking creme de la creme.
1: Hi right, Garth Marenghi, uh, hospital drama, spoof horror, I mean that is certainly unlike most of the things we talk about. Great choice, I think, in terms of being obscure and a box set that people should check out. Have you seen this, Jeffers?
2: I haven't seen it, but I might watch it this weekend coming up. It's um, six episodes and it's on all four, so it's going to be pretty accessible. You're going to be able to binge it quite easily. It's Richard O'Ardy and Matthew Holness. They're the two guys that created it. They're also the two biggest stars in it. And yeah, it is a h- sort of horror parody. It's all done around sort of an 80s theme and it's sort of parodying and taking the mickey out of the horror that was made around that time with sort of naff special effects, production gaffs, low-budget music. It does sound really interesting. It was really successful and it's quite cult in a way. I've heard a lot of comedians talk about it being an inspiration and they were actually told to write a movie version at one point, but I don't think that ever sort of made the grade. But yeah, it's quite an interesting one.
1: Yeah, I think if you know about it, you love it. One of my friends showed me this once like years and years ago and he was like, oh, this is brilliant. Every moment of it is amazing. But I think you either get it or you're just not involved really. But I mean, I think it's worth checking out as a kind of comedy classic.
2: Definitely a good one for the list. Fantastic. And there'll be
1: loads more box sets to watch before you die when we're back after our holidays. So we're almost out of time for this week's episode, but we've saved the best our last. As always, need to have a little look at those EPGs and hazard a guess at what we'll be talking about, not just next week, but also next month and next year. Jeffers, we look to you at this point. Come on, what should we be keeping an eye on next week?
2: Next week, we've got the Return of Game Face. So, Series 2 is Roisin Connerty, Return as Marcella, um, a 30-something aspiring actress who um, passed a driving test, and she's also going to have some sort of clash with her ex, Simon. So, I think that's going to be pretty decent. Great. Next month? Next month, we've got the Return of Dad's Army. Obviously, Again, not...
1: they've had a film, and it's, it's constantly the Return of Dad's Army.
2: I think people are going to like this, though. It is a new cast, but um, it's called Dad's Army, the Lost Episodes. It's three episodes of the classic sitcom that went missing. As a big new cast, Robert Bathurst, David Heyman, Matthew Horne, um, using the original scripts, and that's going to be on gold.
1: And next year?
2: Yeah, comedian Joe Lysett is going to be the new travel man on Channel 4.
1: Oh, the Rich Diwadi series.
2: Yeah, that's right. Ridge is going to do the ninth series this year, and then Joe's going to pick up his passport and do his first series at the start of 2020.
1: Fantastic. That'll be brilliant. Right, lots for us to keep an eye on there. But that's all we've got time for. This has been the series-linked podcast. If you've enjoyed the episode and in fact all the episodes we've done so far, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating and a little review. It really helps us out. And make sure you subscribe as well so the next episode is ready and waiting for you when we return from our break. We'll be back around mid-August and we can't wait to see you then. But for now, bye-bye. See you next month.